It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the Core 2020 Podcasts. Uh, I'm back for the last episode in the promised group of four to do with the, the sort of structure of the Core 2020 Audit Tool. We've talked about policy, we've talked about procedure, we've talked about implementation, and now it's time to touch on the document and record control piece of the sort of flow that we've introduced everyone to through this series. I've got Peter Smith back with me today uh, as a guest to help me discuss this. So, Peter, do you want to tell everybody about your role? For sure. Um, One of the lead auditors in the core department, um, and key to my position right now, is overseeing and working with the uh, associate auditors who are performing our third-party external audits. Excellent. And my name is Mark Gamble. I'm one of the core consultants uh, in the department. And my focus is really on internal audit submissions, uh, reviewing them, providing results and helping clients with them when needed. So today's topic of the day is really this document and record control. And there's two pieces to consider in the tool for document and record control, because unlike a lot of the other topics, it is uh, divided into two sort of places throughout the tool. Uh, The first is the procedure for this. Your document and record control procedure is in element 1.2. It's one of the sub-elements, and this describes the overarching procedure for your document and record control throughout your entire system. That being said, the implementation of that is going to be found element by element as the last question throughout each of the subsequent elements and sub-elements. So in 1.2, we get your procedure, but then the implementation really only makes sense in the context of your specific topics. So notice those questions when you go to the back of each element or sub-element or the bottom. I guess it's not the back. I'm picturing a physical book (laughs) at the bottom of those elements. Um, The last question in each is going to say... um, give you a question, but it says per the procedure 1.2. And this is telling you that the answer you provide really needs to show that alignment with your procedure in 1.2 in order for us to be able to successfully score it. So I'm thinking, Pete, our best bet would be to actually take a look at how that that procedure in 1.2 with its various clauses can be applied per element as we go through the audit tool. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah great. Uh great start point, right? It's a new requirement, something we clearly got to walk through with and, um, and uh, ensure that the industry is going to be successful with this. Definitely. So I guess just as a start point here, we're looking at, we talk about documents, we talk about records and what, what are these things? Why, yeah. why do we have two different terms for them? <laughs> yeah. They are defined terms. So we do have definitions for them at the back of the audit tool itself. And uh, if you're looking at a document, a document could be your health and safety management system itself, the manual, or it could be um, forms that you're going to be using, right? So looking at a management system itself, you've got, um, and in the context of uh, Core 2020, you've got a policy, which is we're committed to doing this. you got a procedure that says, this is how we're going to do it. In that procedure, it should say, these are the documents and forms that we're filling out to validate that they've been, uh, we've met the requirements, that we followed through on the procedure, and then we've got our records, and the records are the completed forms. So if you're, or completed documents, completed forms. So if you got, you could have a form for performing your inspections. This is a document at that point. Until an inspection is actually done and this form's completed, then it becomes a record, proof that you've done something. I tend to frame it myself mentally as well in that same, um, we've talked about it, I think a few times in the series, but 
the proactive and reactive. I see the documents as the proactive stuff that you've got ready. And then once, you know, the situation happens that applies for that, you're reacting by completing the record. You know what I mean? It's the stuff you can do ahead of time to get ready and then actually performing the action. Excellent. Yeah. Good way to put Good way to look at it. So as we work through this, you'll notice that the first clause in that, that procedure for 1.2.1 is roles and responsibilities. And again, fits into that consistent flow as with all the other procedure requirements we have in core 2020. So always every procedure. Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, this is who does what, who's responsible for taking care of the different parts of this. So you've got all those clauses to consider within a procedure and who is going to take care of the specific clauses. And that, that's really what you're detailing and documenting with the roles and responsibilities. And, you know, if I just pick a couple examples of those clauses, um, there's a requirement to have uh, documents approved. So which senior management representative is responsible for approving documents prior to use, right? And then, again, it, you answer this question and there's your, there's your answer for who, who's got that role and responsibility within the procedure. Nice. Who is responsible for overseeing the process to ensure that changes and current revision status of documents are identified and tracked? Now, we've got a couple of verbs in there, that identification of them and tracking it afterwards. Uh, someone's got to be responsible to make sure these things are happening. Could be the same person, could be different people. Absolutely. Right. It's going to be what, what makes the best sense for your organization. Awesome. Uh, who's responsible for overseeing the process that prevents the unintended use of obsolete documents, right? Yeah. Continual improvement. Things change over time. Legislative requirements change, which could uh, impact your documents and forms. You've, you might have these obsolete old versions of documents and you want to make sure that everyone in your organization is using the current most up to date, but someone's got to manage that. Right. If it's not managed, it's not going to happen. For sure. Uh, who's responsible for overseeing the process for the identification and retention of records required to demonstrate conformity to the organization's OHSMS? Key. We're looking for that retention where we're, you're, well, listening to these podcasts, joining this <laughs> audit world of core. It's uh, it, the idea is be able to, to validate these things over a period of time. And that's going to be the retention of documents. And it's striking me now, actually, that each of these determinations you make when you answer these questions it's going to come with a different set of competencies required to perform those different things. So, um, you know, the, the different tasks we're asking them to take responsibility for, we also have to, you know, when we get to something like element 8.1, which is talking about training, and there's a question about competencies, that role now needs to have that established competency to perform that particular responsibility. Oh, it's so key. There's so many organizations that are moving to electronic systems to keep their data for core. Mm -hmm. And, um, Thank goodness someone else looks after that in IHSA because they give me the electronic, the, the keys to the electronic database thing. It's not going to be pretty, but you've got to make sure you've got a competent individual overseeing that type of thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we look at um, implement, implementation questions in each element now, so that's, that's the, pr the procedure we've established, these sort of roles and responsibilities. Um, we're going to be looking to see that we can verify sort of the people that you said would be doing those things. So when we're looking at validating that clause A in implementation, we want to see that where you said it was, you know, the president doing a particular thing, that the president is in fact doing that particular thing. So that's how we would look to validate the implementation of that clause A. Um, I wonder if 
uh, we could look at clause B in a similar way and kind of explore how we would get into that. That one says um, documents and records determined by your organization to be necessary for the effectiveness of the OHSMS. Yeah, good, good point. The, so clients should be asking themselves, what process will be followed to develop and maintain the list of documents and records determined by your organization to be necessary for the effectiveness of the OHSMS? Long way around to just reword the, reword the it, question. But that's the question, yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's for the procedure, right? So the procedure is not the list itself, but it's actually the process for the development of the list. Absolutely. So it's going to have a methodical way to make sure this is going to be completed and accomplished on, and then reviewed on an annual basis, though, as well. Um, it, it's a key exercise but it, to, to make sure that you've identified all those things that are going to be pertinent to your organization. And so to validate then an implementation for the specific elements, we'd want to see that that process you outlined was followed um, as it applies to that, that particular element. For sure. And you'll see a lot of the uh, elements and sub-elements themselves have a requirement to identify the documents and forms that are going to be used for that element. Mm -hmm. Um, So then there's going to be a specific process to maintain these things afterwards. For sure. Uh, Okay. I mean, for B, that makes sense to me. Let's try C. Uh, The requirement to ensure documents are approved prior to use. This seems important. Yes. Yeah. I Uh, guess they're all important, but... (laughs) It's the... um, but it was almost a forgotten step that we had that um, wasn't necessarily captured as well as it could have been in core, right? We're, we're looking for that senior management commitment and approval. So it, it almost mirrors that idea of the, the policy statements is we want to make sure that before documents go out there, they've been approved at a level and that they are, th- this is the direction and the type of forms. And this is what the expectation is for that uh, uh, workers and supervisors and everybody to complete when they're uh, filling out these uh, documents. So again, what process will be followed to ensure that documents are approved by a member of senior management prior to use? Right? Is this linked to your management review? Right. right? You've, you've got them in a room, you're sitting down having the meeting. It might be the opportunity to uh, review the documents and have them approve them at that point. Change management too, maybe, if something new was being introduced? For sure. Yeah, good point. So the output to this will be the approvals noted per the procedure. So right. you're, you're, you're going to note in the procedure how these things are going to be documented or the approvals will be documented that's going to be the output to this. And this is how you'll, this is the requirement that you'll be audited against. So for element two, which is the hazard uh, assessment element, we'd be looking for approvals for that element based on what you specified in 1.2. For sure. For sure. And, and you, you want to make it, um, uh, again, if I'm referring back to another podcast we did about procedures, you don't want to set yourself up for failure with this. Right. Maybe keep it to that formal hazard assessment, that overall uh, hazard assessment inventory that you have of all your uh, uh, risks and uh, the assessments for them. Sure. You may not want to specify senior management signing off on daily assessments if your organization has a thousand a day. Oh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a tall order and I don't think they're going to be too happy with that. That, Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. Let's let's take a look at D. Uh, The requirement to review, update, reapprove, or withdraw documents as necessary. Yeah, yeah, good. Lots uh, of words built into there. <laughs> oh yeah, and that, I, and I guess that's just a general principle to look at when you're when you're reading these questions and read them through, through the uh, first time. I typically go through and what are the doables? What are the verbs that I have in these mm-hmm. things? And ands and ors oh. uh, are key to to pay attention to. We tend to focus on the one that's easiest for us and maybe ignore the other ones. Yes, yeah. Um, so. What you're going to ask yourself, though, is what process will be followed to review, update, reapprove, or withdraw documents as necessary? 
so you're I see a bit of a trend going here, right? You've got a requirement <laughs> and then we're turning around saying, how will this requirement be met? And, and that's it. You're developing your process to make sure that you're hitting each one of these review, update, reapprove, withdraw, right? So there's a lot going on in that question. How is really the, the word of the, of the hour for core 2020, I think. Oh, uh, it, yeah. Definitions, how they, these are key. So when we look at how we would verify in implementation that that process of review, update, reapprove, or withdraw that we specified, we'd be looking for, again, what did you tell us you were going to do um, in your procedure and samples of that. So again, um, I might reference what we talked about in some of our resource stuff where we talked about the importance of samples, um, three samples. If you have a frequency component to something like this for review, three consecutive samples might be uh, helpful to support that frequency for review. So if you say we'll review them monthly, maybe three consecutive monthly reviews, um, that kind of piece could be included here. Absolutely. It's a a good, um, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It's a a regular question we get is how do I validate this question? So so we got to look at that output from each one of these things, right? So it's one thing to develop that process, but it's uh, when you're developing these things is making sure you've got a way to validate these things have happened, mm-hmm. right? So there, there's got to be an output that goes with this, right? So outputs could be the records of the review, uh, records of that reapproval withdrawal per the procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if it's linked to management review, maybe that's one suggestion, but uh, it, it could be a standalone exercise on its own as well. Whatever you've said, that's... Uh... The output it provides is what we're looking for. Um, You will just like, I think you alluded to there, Pete, is it gets a little bit tricky when the output isn't clear. Yes. To to show an implementation. That's right. Yeah. It'll be unclear to your people for the implementation of it, but it'll be unclear to the auditors as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Clause E we're moving through is the requirement to ensure change and current revision status of, and that documents are identified and tracked. So what process will be followed to ensure changes to and current revision status of documents are identified and tracked? Shocking, Pete. <laughs> We're asking what the process is and then putting the clause in there? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we got, uh, yeah, we're certainly on a, on a real roll here. <laughs> so, but with, to, again, your outputs are going to be record of the changes in current revision status. So do you, do you have a numbering system that's typically in the headers, right? Do you have a way to identify the documents? And this is uh, a very common thing that we're going to see with. So if we went back into element two, if like there was, like you said, there was a header involved, we would look for the header on your element two stuff. You could provide us that. And if it's being updated according to this, that's a reasonable piece of evidence. One choice. There's other choices, but. For sure. And uh, from that, that idea of the systematic approach, like we, we've got um, element one, our health and safety policy statement and it, it. The health and safety policy statement has to be reviewed on an annual basis. If you've determined in your document record control procedure how you're going to validate that that uh, review and reapproval has happened that's the type of evidence we're going to look for in that element as well yeah that's a good point okay i'm looking at f the and i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess on this one what you're gonna tell me we need to ask ourselves okay okay the requirement is the requirement to ensure relevant versions of applicable documents are readily available at the point of use so ready for it how Will the required documents be made available at the point of use? There we go. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) You read my mind. So, uh, again, up to the organization. And we we find, 
different organizations, different requirements, different abilities, different ways they want to manage things. But very common ways of this, of uh, making sure this happens is either through electronic systems or hard copy. Okay. And so um, outputs are going to be available documents at the point of use. And if I'm looking at it from an audit standpoint, internal auditors, external auditors, they're going to, when they're on the, in the actual different workplaces, are they available to point of use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty easy at that point. Um, you know, we, we, we do expect that to be validated at some point, but, um, and then electronic systems, if they're, if the projects are expected to have a tablet, right. Have they got that tablet available to them? And a charger. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to forget that. Uh, you might have a hybrid system where you're using a bit of both, mm-hmm. right. And depending on the, the crew and the, uh, the locations they're working and, uh, and the how your systems are set up and the competencies, <laughs> can't resist <laughs> yeah, yeah all, all good points so yeah a couple different ways or hybrids but what fits your organization beautiful brings us to g the requirement to identify documents of external origin that may be necessary for the planning and operation of the system okay so we're going to ask what's the process for this i'm going to skip ahead but this one's a little bit different i don't find it quite as obvious what, what this means. So what does it mean when we're saying documents of external origin? For sure. Yeah. It's a, so there are a lot of external documents that create requirements for your organization and they, they, they could be legislated or non-legislated. Um, so some of them that are legislated that it could be relevant or are going to be relevant to pretty much most organizations we're dealing with are, uh, the occupational health and safety act, okay. uh, workplace safety and insurance act. Uh, could be functional abilities form. If you're getting into, there's been an injury, you're, you, you're working with to bring that person back to work. Uh, form sevens, right? These, these are created by WSIB to kind of track that uh, injury status. Uh, again, functional abilities forms, these are uh, filled out by and completed by doctors uh, and uh, practitioners to uh, suggest to an organization on how to bring that injured party back to work. So these are really items that are, that they impact your system, but are not created by your system. Yes. Yeah. Good, good way to put it for sure. Yeah. So you've got, uh, other ones could be non-legislated examples. So this could include management system standards, uh, core 2020, right? We've got a management set. We do have a standard for that. Uh, could be the audit tool as well, right? These are ones that fit into that. Um, but, but there are, there could be other examples of this. There's, if you're involved in any ISO uh, standards, right? If you're involved in uh, 14,001 or quality, um, you could also get into um, CSA standards, right? Yeah. For whether you're using cranes or powered elevating work platforms or any number of CSA standards are available out there. So th- there are these uh, suggested standards that you could be working with as well that, uh, that will impact your, your health and safety management system. Again, not these aren't uh, uh, enforceable by legislation, right? It's not right. the ministry that's going to say this is legislated. You have to have it, but these are requirements that you've determined that are going to be valuable to you within your organization. And that's really the intent of this question, if I'm not wrong, is that you're determining those because there there will likely be some of those things. Absolutely, right. So it, it, it's just key to be. Uh, clear and upfront and for, uh, forthright with what those requirements are and then make sure you're staying up to date with them. And then they'd be kind of sorted by element, I guess, in terms of implementation, right? If we're talking about, you know, um, 
FAFs that's potentially going to fall under, you know, the element for, you know, emergency response, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about the act that might be in the legislation, things um, when we're actually showing the implementation of that, it might be wound into those other elements in terms of different components that you've identified or that you will identify through this process um, appear in those different elements. Yeah, yeah. As you're working through the, developing those procedures and uh, exploring how you're going to um, comply with those procedures and how you want things to move forward, it's always per, um, it would behoove you to look at what legislation applies, and then you're identifying those legislated documents. But then, uh, is there any other guidance documents that you have along the way that, that you want to make sure are referenced there as well? So developing those other procedures is likely going to inform this this sort of implementation from. That element 1.2. Yes. Yeah. Key. Okay. Key. <clears throat> awesome. Um, okay. Let's look at Clause H. So there's a requirement to prevent the unintended use of obsolete documents and identify such documents if they are retained for any purpose. So again, what would the process be that's going to ensure this requirement um, to prevent unintended use as well as the identification piece? Um what do we want to say about this one in terms of advice for people? Well, you've already made some decisions on how you're going to be keeping your documents. So that, that's going to inform how you're moving ahead with this one. Now, if you're using an electronic database for your uh, documents, um, updating the available software in that case. Sure, yeah. Right? The, the, you've got the site-based people or people in remote workplaces, and they're going to pick up the tablet or whatever electronic <laughs> device they've provided. If they pick it up and it's already been updated to include the uh, most up-to-date relevant document, that, that's going to make things easy. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, notifying re relevant personnel about obsolete hard copies. Right? Yeah. So you've got everything is, uh, there's a numbering system you've created for your documents, a naming convention that goes with this. And it's easy to identify what documents are going to be removed and which ones are going to be uh, current at that point. Um, you've also got that those approval dates on them, right? So, but notifying everybody uh, that this is the requirement, um, or or this is your your which documents are obsolete and which ones they should be using in those remote workplaces. Uh, that's going to be key to making sure that this is uh, running smoothly. So I'd say in terms of, if I was trying to show that with documentation, there might be some records of that kind of communication, letting people know um, when documents were considered obsolete. Um, maybe a if it's a software process, there might be a software um, record of the update, of the revision. Um, there might be some documentation options for that. I'd say also that this is one where when you have the company auditor or the associate auditor there, they're going to know um, whether you had this process in place successfully if they're not finding obsolete documents on their site. I assume that's a big part of the process. It, yeah, yeah, good point. And it's it's one of those things that you, you don't really have to go out of your way as an auditor to, to validate this one, whether it's actually happening or not. As you're collecting records and evidence and documents and uh, throughout the audit process, you're going to see, okay, why is there a variation from one workplace to the other? Mm -hmm. Is it, are there, or are they all using an obsolete document or are they all using the most current approved document? That's right. And that, that would form some of the evidence for this question throughout the elements as well, I suspect. You know, is it the current version of the form you collected? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to impact every element with that uh, last question. Definitely. Um, okay, so I, uh, I'm going to frame this one as a question right away. So 
what's the process that's going to be followed for the identification and retention of records as necessary to demonstrate conformity to the requirements of your OHSMS? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And first off, it's stating which require which records will need to be kept. So, right. so again, record, you've got a document or a form and you've completed this validating that you've implemented and done something you were supposed to. Um, we have that record, which ones need to be kept. Okay. Right. So it's a key start point. Uh, next off is how long do we have to keep them for? And Forever it's... and ever <laughs> and ever. Forever is easier when it's electronic. <laughs> fair, but, fair. But if you're on a paper system, there, there's, uh, you know, you, you might have to uh, create some real estate, get rid of some of these Make some things. choices. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've heard different rules of thumb, people tying it to CRA or tax requirements. I've heard of keeping things for two years following completion of a project with the idea that um, how long Ministry of Labor can approach you for afterwards with regards to uh, potential charges. So it's, um, you know, it's making that determination. And it could be different for different types of records though as well. Mm-hmm. I could see that coming into play, uh, you know, if it's got an impact on financials then you you may want it based on that determination whereas if it's you know more of a legal thing for sure for sure and then where will records be kept and it's um you know okay i don't need to say uh susie's file cabinet over here but if it is (laughs) you know we're going to keep hard copies at the office sufficient or it could be the electron naming the electronic database that you're using or if there's specific folders on a server that you have within the organization that actually makes me want to jump ahead to the next clause real quick, Pete, because I think where you're keeping things also ties into the next clause that talks about, you know, how are you going to um, uh, protect items that have a privacy or confidentiality requirement as appropriate? How do you, I guess, identify those and then how do you protect them? And I think that idea of where they're kept is potentially a key component of that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The... The privacy, it's, you want to go through these and determine where you have that privacy requirement, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're keeping records of daily hazard assessments, I, I think the privacy requirements are going to be pretty low. Agreed. But if you've got um, functional ability forms, you've got return to work mm-hmm. forms for an injured worker, or you've got discipline uh, notices, these are things that there's going to be uh, an expectation for a level of privacy that goes Yeah, through. that bar goes much higher right fast on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so just going through identifying what these items are first. Uh, and again, different, those are some common ones. The examples I gave there that should, uh, impact every organization or could, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's uh, identifying other requirements as well. Anyway. This could be, sorry to interrupt, but uh, another process, um, you know, there's other processes we've seen from, from core before it was core 2020 as well, where it talks about criteria for. So what is your criteria for something being deemed private confidential? So, you know, is it as soon as there's personal information, is it, uh, you know, what you could develop a set of criteria? For sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's creating that approach because the, um, an unsuccessful approach I've seen in some of these audits <laughs> is just saying, uh, like a blanket statement that, um, uh, documents required or with confidentiality requirements will be stored here. But right. when, when those aren't identified up front, you, you've got a system that's set up for failure then because you, okay. as there's turnover, people move from one organization to another um, or someone retires, um, 
you know, there could be a gap in knowledge there. And then how do you move forward to make sure it's uh, implemented consistently? I'm going to go and I'm, it's my favorite word, apparently, uh, competencies. Again, we can, whoever's making this determination, again, this is something that should be reflected probably in their competencies is, you know, the ability to make this determination for your organization. For sure. For sure. And it can be part of your review processes as well. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the, the other thing to consider when you're determining that criteria is, are there any agreements uh, that the organization has as well, sort of formalized agreements that may affect the privacy and confidentiality of your staff. So, you know, just another criteria that's coming off the top of my my head to to impact that conversation. So, yeah, I think most of the um, reviews I've done that were unsuccessful so far did have a statement similar to what you said, where there was, you know, the idea that confidential documents would be kept somewhere safe, safe but what they were was the lacking piece. Um, okay, K. This is a pretty, like, we're going through a lot of the alphabet here, you know, but but it's all important pieces of the puzzle. Um, so, oh, and this is this one is one that people always look at me and say, well, they're just going to do it. And it is the requirement to ensure documents and records remain legible and readily identifiable. So, you know, we're obviously going to ask what's the process around this. But Pete, can't I just say they need to make them legible and 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 then i shouldn't forget about the fact that i it also says identifiable here you can tell me that as many times as you want but i should be i should have been a doctor with my writing <laughs> <Me It's, too. laughs> it is not clear to sometimes it's not clear to me so uh an easy one here might be electronic records fair if, if you're using an electronic system right the uh that's an easy way to get that um another one though might be determining a, a regular frequency for collecting uh site-based documents it's it at least gets you away from the idea of them being weathered right because they they're in different conditions on the on the the workplaces so um that regular collection might might actually lead to uh uh cleaner copies but the most obvious and easiest answer there i would say is the electronic but it doesn't have to just be electronic i don't want to say companies that are uh, hard copy based are not going to be able to comply with the requirement. I'd say too, like if you are hard copy based and you're thinking about, you know, just collecting regular site documents, whatever your process is then for, you know, that storing that retention piece that we were talking about, you know, before it goes in a file for folder, if part of your process is to scan it for just pure legibility, right? It's something that should jump out reasonably quickly. If there's a section that you can't quite make out for whatever reason, something you could follow up with before it gets filed away forever. Yes. Yeah. No, good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then of course, this is another one I think that, um, well, I mean, I want to talk about the second half of the question as well, but um, in terms of the legibility, I think it's one that you almost don't go out of your way to assess when you're, when you're doing an audit, it's, it's, you're collecting the evidence and it's. <laughs> With myself in mind and my, uh, and what my handwriting looks like, that's not what we're looking for, right? right. It's just, have you put yourself in the best position to be able to maintain legible, identifiable documents? Right. Okay. And identifiable. I feel like that's um, a, like a bigger system thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, again, it gets into that uh, numbering, naming conventions for your documentation. If it's consistent and you can see that it is uh, easily identifiable through that uh, system and you're, you're using that consistent language. Perfect. That, that's really what we're looking for there. Okay. And we'll be able to see that through each element because if you've outlined a naming or numbering convention or both... Um, we'll see that on the documents as we get there. Yes, yes. 
Okay, and the other thing I just want to remind everyone as a core consultant who looks at the internal reviews is some of those administrative features we touched on in the handbook conversation. Um, three samples are needed for implementation uh, at an internal audit. If there's a frequency consideration, do make sure they're consecutive. Um, and, and that's what we'll be needing as a minimum when we're looking at that last question in each element. Uh, but bearing in mind, the scope of the external will, of course, be bigger. So at internal audit, there's only so much you're going to be able to show us uh, in that question. And you don't need to show us every nuanced detail of clauses. How many clauses were there? All the way A to K. Um, internal audit is, is a three-sample process. So um, that will be sufficient at external audit. The, the scope um, will capture it all. So that'll be the, the true validation there. Uh, with that, I think we've covered what we wanted to cover, Pete. Was there, I think, is that it for you? Well, it, it just, you know, as you be methodical when you're reading through this element, it, it is a new concept and, um, it, it, and you want to make sure you're taking your time as you digest the information. So it's the, use the resources available to you, the podcast, the, uh, core updated core 2020 training materials, um, but also the audit tool itself. Right, just reading through it and just taking the time. Even if you take a highlighter and you're looking for those verbs, the action words in, in the uh, in each one of the clauses, highlight those and specifically follow that, and to make sure you're you're doing your best to meet each one of those. And I think that'll put you in the best position to be successful. Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Martin. IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening.